So, John, tell us about that um, trading challenge then, <laughs> now that we live. <laughs> Well, there's, there's, a, there's a popular challenge that a lot of uh, influencers do, $1,000 to $100,000. Um, but obviously, in a bull market, everyone's a fucking genius. So <laughs> everyone's making money. Um, so I'm going to challenge myself to a similar narrative in the, with the bear market structure, which I think will be quite a challenge. But I'm looking forward to it. I've got my picks, got my entries set. So I just got to wait for those orders to fill. And yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. What are the what are the like constraints and uh, rules? Like, if it's a trading one, you can't buy and hold something, or what? What are surely surely their rules and stuff? So, so it's two percent stop loss for twenty percent breakout moves that I'm looking for. Um, no fundamentals, trail stop loss as we take the twenty percent move. Um, so yeah, anywhere between ten to twenty percent profit pull up um, and run a two percent stop loss the whole way up. So we're and getting we like we we are getting we're getting only technical analysis uh, updates from you for the next few weeks, hey? Yeah, there's there's going to be sweet <laughs> fuckle fundamentals. It's all going to be technical patterns. <laughs> oh, I love that. Anyway, let's kick off the show. Uh, welcome everyone to episode eleven. Uh, I'm here with the trading aficionado, Red Pull holding Galactic Q, uh, ready to dish them out today. And uh, as always, your guy in TradFi, uh, as Jonty would say, making trades. <laughs> the guy, <laughs> the guy is making trades after hours. Uh, welcome back, boys. I'm Luca, uh, the front, the front man of the show, uh, ready to bring an action-packed show. There's lots, lots to cover, but I first want to quickly touch on some housekeeping from last week. If you were here last week for episode 10, you'll know that I uh, yeah, um, sort of put up my portfolio for absolute pillaging, um, depending on how that uh, tweet went about Shiba, basically uh, saying however many likes the episode gets or any like social reactions on any other sites, I'll buy the equivalent amount of Shib. And I, I can report that I did... Uh, put my money where my mouth is, and I'm now the the proud owner of 500,000 uh, Shiba Inus. So that's uh, all all good news. I kept my promise. I also thought, uh, Johns, you need to uh, I mean, also you also need to confess because you told us something about Tether <laughs> after the episode. <laughs> Well, firstly, I want to say if if Shiba Inu to a dollar, you'll be half a millionaire. Let's go. I will. Um, but that's never going to happen. So don't don't count on it. Um, but fate loves uh, irony. Will, fate fate loves irony, as Elon would say. Yeah, you jinxed it, not. I mean, listen, guys. I've got I've got a bit of Shiba Inu in the back pocket. So if it does yeah, go to a dollar, you, I'm not going to complain. Yeah, Yo, you also you also had some tether in your portfolio until you. <laughs> oh, fuck! So basically, <laughs> I preached about why hold tether where you could get twenty percent on UST, and while I was preaching that on the podcast, I switched all my tether to UST and sent it straight to anchor. <laughs> yeah, yeah because the percentage what... of your portfolio in tether was it like 40 percent? Thirty percent. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> While you were lambasting it for all the fraud they, yeah. they're causing, and 
Anyway, to get the full to get the full rant, go and watch episode ten. Um, anyway, housekeeping out the way, boys. Let's get into it. Uh, Q market update. Um, what is going on with the markets? Uh, obviously, we had the massive dump, a bit of uh, a bit of a bounce today. Um, I hope. Also, I wanted to say I hope you guys, you guys, um, even the even though the markets are uh, crashing all around us, I hope that uh, inside you guys are everyone's feeling well and not uh, soul crushing. But uh, John's, what's happening with the markets? Well, yeah, let's 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 dive into it. So basically, you know, obviously we saw some volatility over the weekend, and you know, Bitcoin's been in this kind of descending trend for the last eleven weeks now, which is you know, pointing some really, really oversold indicators. Um, across the board, we've got indicators showing us that we're more oversold than we were in the March 2020 COVID crash. So we're getting some extreme bottom signals. Um, and I mean, we were already getting those signals. Uh, we're starting to get those signals at the 40k range. But obviously, with all the uncertainty around the Fed with interest rates and QE and all of that coming later this year and exactly what they're going to do. The uncertainty in the market has obviously sent the stock markets, you know, tumbling 12% since the start of the year, um, which in stock standards is massive. It's a recession, basically, where in crypto, that's a Tuesday afternoon. So, you know, we're getting, we're getting this massive pullback in stocks and obviously we're correlated. But one thing that people don't realize is further dumps in the stock markets are largely priced in with the Bitcoin pullback as we have been in this bearish descent and extreme fear period for over 60 days now. So basically on a technical level, we're looking to put in a bottom. Um, and I think that the bounce that we've seen now is largely good, but it's not as strong as we hoped. The reaction that we're getting is great, but not as full. And we're still noting, noticing that USDT dominance is climbing, which means people are still heavily allocated in stable coins and basically this largely speaks to the fact that we've got the, the the fed speaking today and tomorrow about their exact plans as to what they're going to do with interest rates and all of that and i think it's at 2 30 p.m est tomorrow that they will be announcing what their structure for interest rates is going to be um and i think largely most investors are waiting to hear what the results of that will be if we're going to get a bearish outcome, as in the, the Fed decides to raise interest rates, we'll probably get an initial volatility spike. While this will be bullish for crypto long term, short term will be volatile. Um, and I do see, you know, I do see a whip down to the 28K zone, because what we did notice over the weekend was whales and institutions were liquidation hunting. And basically, if you looked on the very low time frames, you would have seen that we had perfect candle wicks the whole way down, touching perfect liquidation levels where a lot of people had leveraged long from. And basically, it was it was just carnage liquidating over leveraged individuals in the space. And all I can say is that the 28K to 30K zone has probably double the amount of liquidation levels than we had now in this 35 to 32K zone. So there is incentive for us to swing low. And if we do get bearish news from the Fed, expect that downwards volatility, but equally expect as big a bounce to the upside because I do not see us sustaining that low. There will be some form of relief push, probably to the mid 40s or low 50s uh, before we continue more of a bearish trend over the next you know, six to 12 months. Um, 
Yeah, but that being said, if the Fed comes out tomorrow and says that they are not raising interest rates, then obviously inflation is going to climb. And, you know, that being said, Bitcoin is obviously a hedge against inflation. Cryptocurrency as a whole produces our, like amazing ROIs that helps you battle and, and contradict inflation. So we can expect Bitcoin to have a massive push from where we are now. So, yeah, lots of uncertainty in the market at the moment. Lots of people unsure what to do. Currently, I'm 50% cash. Um, I'm short-term bearish, medium-term bullish, long-term bullish always. Um, but yeah, so we just got to see what the announcement is tomorrow. Yeah, so lots of, lots of things still to unfold. Um, John's quick follow-up question. Morning Brew put it, put this up on their Twitter as well. Um, what's something you can say when the stock market is down and also in bed? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. The bottom end. <laughs> I thought you said it always goes up. It always goes up. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> Sorry, uh, that's my poor attempt of trying to be funny and put in a meme in the middle of after the market update. Um, but yeah, thanks Q for the market update. Uh, obviously, still, still lots more to to figure out and unfold as the week goes on, and you'll get another uh, market update from the Galactic Q himself uh, next week. Um, right, let's move on to the main topic for today, boys. Um, anyone who's familiar uh, and who's been in crypto over the past few months will have been will have known that there was a massive uh, debate between sort of crypto crypto land believers and sort of crypto skeptics on Twitter. Uh, we covered this in episode seven. So, if you're not familiar on the Web three debate that was ensuing over the New Year and Christmas. On Twitter, uh, best to go check that out, that episode out where we cover a few of the key tweets. Um, but as we all know, it started off with Jack Dorsey. He had he had uh, just gotten out of uh, his uh, his his bind to Twitter, and then he went on an absolute rampage, starting off with the tweet: "You don't own Web three." Uh, this was around December the twenty first. The VCs and their LPs do. It will never escape the incentives. It's ultimately a centralized entity with a different label. Know what you're getting into. So basically, which started off this whole um, whole sort of debate and frenzy that ensued on Twitter, basically labeling you know Web3 and crypto as sort of uh, a centralized, um, more, decentral more centralized than, than decentralized and sort of you had all these players coming in and trying to pick holes in the whole in the whole thing itself. And we covered that. Uh, we'll be diving a bit deeper into one particular article from Moxie Marlinspike, the CEO and founder of Signal, the um, privacy uh, messaging app uh, like Telegram. But basically what, what happened was uh, Prof G, uh, also known as Professor Hot Takes, also had put in, put in his... Uh, put in his uh, two cents to the argument and it was a basically a massive flop uh, and you, you can probably guess what side he was taking uh, taking the you know argument that uh, web3 is more more centralized than it is decentralized and uh, Paki McCormack uh, who's a big proponent of web3 and is an advisor to a16z basically rebutted that so we just wanted to sort of uh, have uh you know put our put our uh takes and views out on the different responses um 
but laying out the debate uh, structure and acknowledging that this is purely a, a debate, right? I think guys like you agree with me, there's no, at the end of the day, there's no real point or consensus point or, you know, sort of big thing that will be gained from this debate. It's just people butting heads over their views and the sides they've taken. So on one side, the centralized camp, you have Jack, you have Moxie, you have Prof G. And on the decentralized camp, you have uh, Paki, A16Z, and most of crypto Twitter. Uh, because basically this argument was about whether, you know, crypto and Web3 is de decentralized or centralized. Um, boys, let's dive into quickly uh, Moxie's article, which was, I must say, from the outset, one of the most nuanced takes and honest takes on Web3 and crypto through the eyes of someone just getting started and, you know, exploring the space from a pretty technical standpoint. You know, he built an NFT and he built a, a DAP himself and sort of documented his thoughts on it. Um, what were your guys' takes on it? And I guess we could just go from the top on it when, uh, from there. What do you, what did you guys think about it, Luca? It, it, I think it was an honest take. Um, I mean, the, the general thesis of the article is that kind of current systems are much more trust-based than we think. You know, although we have this kind of decentralized blockchain technology underlying a lot of the systems, um, the kind of interaction point, um, the users of these dApps um, and networks rely on kind of trust systems like servers, um, various dApps rely on API calls from kind of centralized indexing services. It's like basically gathering data on the blockchain, indexing it. And so you have this kind of term which is thrown around a lot, which is supposed, it, it, it's, it's quite loaded at this point, I think, but it's, it's kind of very idealistic um, and belies the kind of underlying structural risks, so to speak, um, in, in the sense that Web3 could very well end up as, uh, and this is Moxie's take, uh, Web2 squared. <laughs> so kind of fall into many of the same um, habits and, and issues around centralization effectively um, uh, among kind of key, key infrastructure components. Yeah, or like Web 2.01, as uh, Prof G put it. Um, yes. Bef bef before we dive into the details again, uh, Q, what were your what were your thoughts? Anything macro yeah, thoughts I mean, about the uh, the, uh, the article? Yeah, listen, I I mean, between the three articles that I read, Moxie's take was definitely you know the most educated. <laughs> um, you know, the, I think I think well said. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> without without stepping on too many toes, I mean, it 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 turned into a since this article it turned into a bit of a playground school fight. Um, I, yeah, I think I think Moxie's take was very interesting. Um, I especially, you know, enjoyed the part about the flaw that he pointed out with current with the current NFT space about how. You know, people always people view NFT, NFTs as the pinnacle of your pseudo anonymity and your identity within the crypto space, and it's this whole narrative of this is your Web three identity, 
you know, what Moxie points out is that anyone who has access to the Apache server that people are running the APIs of the, you know, the information from, they can go change the name, the picture, the everything of that NFT. Um, and it just highlights a sort of a centralized flaw in these things that we're using to lead the charge of what we think Web3 is. So I thought that was a super interesting take. And with that, he obviously developed his own NFT project, which displayed different images uh, based on the platforms or the IP that you used. And I just thought it was really interesting to, to show an actual practical use case that he found where there's an inherent flaw in what we think Web3 is today. And I think it ultimately highlights how early we are in the space and how early we are in the definition of Web3. And it's largely quite an ambiguous subject to, to try and define you know, Web3, we got Web1, which was that sort of read-only phase, and then Web2, which was this, you know, kind of like, you know, institutions stealing our data and centralization of data and all of Platforms, that. basically. And I, yeah, platforms, basically, where, you know, there wasn't just read-only, but there was interaction, and that interaction was recorded. And now we're looking at Web3, which is almost Web2, essentially decentralized Web2, though. Um, but I think what's what's really been highlighted here is that, you know, it's okay to have a bit of centralization and some aspects of, you know, society will be better off decentralized while a lot of others would be better off centralized with, you know, a bit of, a bit of Web3 narrative to it. So it's, it's, yeah, it was a very interesting read. Maybe to add on to that, just, just two points. And, and I guess maybe also a question for you, Luca, um, you placed Jack in the centralized camp which actually surprised me quite a bit. To, to me, he really is one of the strongest advocates of kind of a permissionless open monetary uh, network. And in generally, I think a big enabler um, of Web3 as, as we kind of um, envision it. So that, that surprised me a bit. And maybe just one thing um, to add on to what Jonty was saying, just to highlight the technical aspect, basically, because blockchains are fundamentally a bit more expensive than maybe running a transaction on, on kind of an SQL cloud um, application, basically what a lot of projects have done is the NFT is basically just a URL. So you have provable ownership of this thing, which points to another thing. The problem is that this ownership doesn't contain any clauses which place restrictions or kind of created agreements about this second uh, second point effectively. So you, 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 you have this thing which points to something, but there's there's nothing in this in this NFT that you're holding that guarantees that the state of the NFT or, or the data store that's being pointed to will be preserved in the future. So the thing is, like, like John, you were saying, you know, this pseudonymous identity, I think NFTs are provable ownership over something visual. It completely upends everything if this thing can just change. Right? Like if he had the, he had the brilliant example of basically having an NFT, which if you looked at it on OpenSea was kind of like an artwork, but if you bought it, and you had it in your wallet, it was the shit emoji. <laughs> that's not that's not directly related, but the point, the, I, I guess what, what, the, what Moxie's illustrating is that uh, there are a lot of vulnerabilities in the current system. So if you think about this whole community building up 
around something that's inherently visual if through a hack or through you know a, a, a lack of um kind of you know vision and and, and maybe then the, the aesthetic suddenly changes you, the whole the whole thing collapses effectively so i kind of actually walked away from from this feeling like NFTs, which are built on URLs pointing to data sitting somewhere, which can be compromised. I almost feel like it, it, it's a bit of a house of cards. Yeah, and I guess that's the scary thing, right? But quickly before I address that, I just want to address your first point, Luca. Um, sorry, I realized I should have clarified um, that point. I, I was saying more in the sphere of the Web3 debate, right, that Jack, that Jack started. He instigated it himself, right? And where I said he's in the centralized camp, I said he's in the centralized camp of the debate. So he's on the side of Web3 is centralized. I'm not saying that he doesn't believe in, you know, decentralization. I'm just saying that his, oh, his, yeah. his position in the argument is that Web3 is more centralized than you think. It's owned by the VCs, not what they are framing it as where they, they're saying it's owned by you, but it's actually not. Um and interesting point on Jack, I just wanted to point out something I've been thinking about since this whole thing broke, is that, of course, like you said, he's he's one of the biggest proponents of, um, you know, a decentralized, permissionless, trust trustless monetary system. And we've said on the pod, uh, you know, reiterated what he said publicly, saying, you know, if Twitter or uh, Square slash Block didn't need me, I would go work full time on Bitcoin. He is the ultimate Bitcoin maxi. And what I've found quite funny is the fact that from him, starting this whole argument that Web3 is more centralized and that it's not what you think it is, is that just him not being conflicted by his own interest in Bitcoin? I, I, I've got an opinion on this. I think that he's getting frustrated that so much energy... I mean, it's, it's almost like Web3 has just spawned off from Bitcoin in this kind of like violent storm. And yes. it's, it's consuming everyone, right? But what, what is kind of the fundamental... Um, it's, it's permissionless infrastructure. And, and I think Bitcoin embodies that distributed ledger technology. It's kind of like the purest realization of this idea. And, and I think he's just frustrated that so much energy is being consumed in frankly scams <laughs> you know uh, sh short-lived bouts of uh, uh, euphoria um that that is kind of 99 percent of the altcoin market yeah and i mean i mean nfts and, and, and the nft craze and everything that's going on there yeah yeah and i, and I think that's kind of i guess this whole this whole discussion was kind of devolving at some point. Um, and I think it's worthwhile just zooming out, I guess, before we dive into the takes and just kind of, you know, the underlying value proposition is realized by Bitcoin. You know, it, it, there's this crazy kind of spike of innovation is really recent and it, it, it's a violent storm and, and everything that comes with it. Yeah. The wild, wild west as a, uh... Prof G eloquently pointed out, uh, and he wasn't the first to say this. I think it's completely true. I also, yeah, I also think, yeah, there's frustration coming from Jack, but it, it, to me, 
there's, there's also obviously a conflict of interest in his name being, you know, put in the media with other, you know, maybe crypto CEOs building NFT projects or whatever, as you know, the, the founders of web three, the heroes of web three, he will obviously get frustrated with that and saying, yeah, you know, obviously I'm not part of web three. I'm, I do Bitcoin and I build on Bitcoin. Look, look at my CV. Um, so yeah, but, but completely agree with, with, with that point, Luca. And, um, then just to tie a thread with Moxie's, uh, article, I would highly recommend people to have a read through it. Um, in terms of time, I think it would, it would be pointless for us to go in detail over the whole article. So please go do yourself an, uh, a favor and, and read it and just understand. I think it's, it's hard truth to hear currently that, you know, the system is relies on more sort of platforms and centralized, uh, entities than, than we would like to believe. Um, but then moving on to moving on to Prof G and the the takes the different takes from Packy McCormack. Um, so Prof G came out with with an article called Web Three, which I would also recommend reading. He also tries to you know get across the hard the hard truths that Moxie has so eloquently summarized in his article, but in a in a way more way less like uh, eloquent way. Um, sort of uh he, he did it with a, with a lack of finesse uh put it that way it was brute force it was trying to shove things down down your throat and and it sounded like i got the impression i don't know what you guys like if you guys got the same impression when i was reading it it sounded like he was shouting at me like that's that was like the tone he wrote it in like he was just <laughs> angry and he was shouting at me um about the whole thing uh, and someone I think stole, someone someone stole his lunch in the, in the playground. So he went and wrote yeah, ex- ex- exactly, <laughs> exactly. Or he just he just wanted to be heard, so he had to like write his big piece about it, right? Um, yeah. But I, but I think that he basically the long and short of it is that he then echoed the exact same points of you know Jack and Moxie. Um, found quite interesting as well. He he didn't actually credit. Uh, he linked Moxie's article in the one thing that he paraphrased. But if you didn't click into the article link, you would have thought he basically passed it off as, as his own idea, um, which which I found was was actually quite quite terrible, to be frank. Frank, like, you know, trying to pass off ideas as his own. Um, and then... Yeah, so he, 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 basically ma- he basically made a cup, made a few claims... And Packy McCormack sort of replied to him. Now, Luca, you said something very interesting that you thought both of these articles were just uh, well, before we got on got got on here. You said uh, both of the takes were just uh, were, were subpar in your in your point. Do you want to do you want to just expand on on your view? Yeah, maybe just one point. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, Prof G coined the term yoga babble. He did. I think it's one of his favorite things <laughs> but, to say, apparently. But I love that. <laughs> so, so, if anything, I came away with with the new uh, with the new word. I still but, don't um, understand what it means, though. It's just like nonsense or something. Like idealistic, euphoric, tree hugging, um, kind of uh, woke. <laughs> okay, it makes sense. Uh, 
you know what I mean? Say no more. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but look, I think, I think both uh, 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 takes were bad. I think uh, Packy McCormick kind of devolved. Uh, John's, I think you said it, uh, said it like it is. It, it was kind of like a, what, like a grade uh, a school fight or something. Um, I mean, Packy uh, slams Prof G for avoiding the kind of opposition's uh, kind of key points, you know, basically just picking the facts that suit him. And, and I think, you know, Packy did the exact same thing, um, to be entirely honest. I think, you know, we spent a bit of time talking about the Moxie article. I think it has a, he has a lot of fundamental, fundamentally good points right which point to vulnerabilities and yes it's it's not to say that it, it, it's not to say that it's it's the end right like we we are kind of in this development arc and you know many of these issues will probably be worked out i think the the, the fundamental point is right now as it stands today if you're objective there are issues like you can't tell me that you can't tell me that an, a, a multi-billion-dollar NFT market, based on URLs which point to corruptible databases, isn't a, isn't a security risk. You know, and I think one of the one of the key points as well, right, is is the whole the way MetaMask displays NFTs. Oh yeah, this is this is crazy. That is crazy. Really disappointed that Packy did not bring this up, uh, because to me. Basically, how it works is, you know, generally with dApps, they accept a certain set of wallets, right? And and almost always it's it's MetaMask, right? And, and so basically, MetaMask has a de facto uh, monopoly on Ethereum when it comes to wallets. I would say, uh, de definitely, it will if we onboard another billion people, right? Just because it's it's the most polished product, it's the most used, it's the most trusted. If you hold an NFT in MetaMask, it calls an OpenSea API to basically display the thing. And so, so Moxie created an NFT. Which Luca first, like letting that sink in, like I think that for people who don't know that, like that sounds ridiculous, right? Like MetaMask is meant to be like your sort of entry into Web3, like a decentralized wallet that's not connected to anything like why is it making calls to an open sea api to display your nft in the first place because it doesn't have all the data it's it it, it can't like on your your phone can't hold the entire blockchain and all the related data so it basically just makes api calls effectively and and this is one of kind of the arguments of centralization in the tech stack supporting web3 uh, is that a lot of this infrastructure is predicated on trust, right? So you're trusting OpenSea to render this NFT in the appropriate way when you make the API call. There are no, there are no checks and balances on that. Um, so basically, I, I guess the, the point I'm trying to make here is, is that MetaMask has a de facto monopoly on Ethereum. It gets its API calls from OpenSea. So yes, Packy makes the point, you know, users have the choice to go to LooksRare, another NFT marketplace, or, you know, basically they have choice. That's his fundamental point, which is true. Yes. But at the end of the day, if all the wallets are making API calls to OpenSea, right, if, if OpenSea blacklists this NFT, 
then the NFT is, is practically worthless. Like you have to expect the bid side for NFTs to collapse if you can't display them in MetaMask. So there is a fundamental market risk to NFTs, which which Moxie underpins and, and packages glosses over that. So to be, to be entirely honest, uh, I think both articles were were equal in the sense that they were bad takes uh, and kind of failed to acknowledge some of the kind of key systemic risks to the current model. So, so even though things might change in the future, it's the current state. That's what things are like now, right? And sure, you can say users have a choice, but at, at the end of the day, you know, that's, it's also easy to say that, right? Like what is the practical reality? Yes, exactly, and and the the funny th- and and the point you almost get to is you know the point where I got to after contemplating and Luca, you, this is a great take you've had, um, sort of on the opposite side of that. But where I got to at the end of the day is like I also had that same thought. Like, why is Packy not acknowledging these parts of Moxie's article? And he 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 disguises it nicely by you know actually saying yes, it was a nuanced take, it was very good or whatever, but not actually diving into what he actually said and at the end of the day it goes back it goes back to the fact that this is just a debate if you read Packy's article he has a whole spiel about you know debating tactics and how to win the debate and what the point of a debate is the point of the debate is not to get to the truth he says it in his article right it's to make your evidence seem like it outweighs that of the opposition or the proposition or whatever side you're on it's fa- it's actually fascinating the the art of debating and how that can come across. It almost makes you more self aware to you know to see these things from afar, um, and I thought that's why this exercise been, has been so good. But he was trying to win the debate. He wasn't trying yep. to tackle. He wasn't trying to tackle. Uh, you know, he wasn't trying to tackle what Moxie said and what Prof. You know, he was just trying to dismantle what Prof G said while qu- quickly glossing over Moxie. What Moxie said. Yeah, he's speaking towards a polarized audience, like you can see, right? I mean, we, you know, if you take an objective view, you know, you you just arrive at the conclusion that they kind of both articles have the same pitfalls. Yeah, exactly. And the polarized audience, unfortunately, is you know, is is us three. Like, it's funny also seeing how your own biases work because, like, us three being crypto bulls and bullish on the whole market and industry and future outlook we we read that with rose tinted glasses we it's hard for us to think re, and read something like moxie's and really take that to heart and which you've which you've done luca and i'm realizing uh is more difficult than uh than than it just uh than it appears to be um so yeah there, i think we can't uh we can't answer all the questions and uh this i think this is meant to be open-ended uh where do we think, like final thoughts on this uh, queue, like where do we think this ends up? Do you think we, you know, there's still work to do and do you, do you fundamentally believe we can get to a place where, you know, Web3 is everything it should be and everything that, that it has been framed to be or are we just heading for a sort of different different dynamically uh, structured web two. Yeah, well, I mean, 
you kind of got to look at human psyche here and think to yourself, how easy is it for people to change their ways? You know, we look at how, you know, what, one thing that was brought up in the articles is that, you know, people don't want to write their own code. People don't want to run their own servers. They don't want to do those things. You know, pe people like to simplify their lives. And, you know, Web3 to date is complicated. Um, you know, the narrative of setting up a decentralized wallet, having to connect to a bunch of things, pay transaction fees, like there's a lot to take in as a new user. And, you know, to, to be very honest, it's going to be decades, in my opinion, before we have a mass shift of the population, you know, the global population towards a true decentralized Web3 era, where as now I could see more Web3 becoming a slightly more decentralized take on what Web2 is, but ultimately still tying into the centralized nature of Web2 as that's where the population is going to be interacting. And at the end of the day, whatever has the most adoption, you know, will always be the leading, the leading charge. And I think, you know, over time, we'll develop ecosystems and develop projects that, you know, will take a more heavily decentralized role. Um, but I think most common practices would be stick to a centralized mechanism, but have a decentralized space. Um, but yeah, so basically bottom line, I think we're going to be in more of a, a web three orientated web two. Uh, so more decentralized structure of web two, but ultimately a lot of different ecosystems will remain centralized because right now the barrier to entry for web three is that it's complicated for a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, at least now we can move on and, you know, say that the Web3 debate is over and let's get back down to business and, and actually making that future we all want a reality. Um, and yeah, moving on to the next thing, Twitter is doing exactly that by bringing, you know, NFT verification uh, into, the, into the PFPs, which was huge news, um, even though I, I don't think it really helped uh, the markets, uh, in, like with that really good news, Q, confirm or deny, um, that broke... Uh, as um, sorry, I'm just looking because Luca looks like we lost Luca, but uh, we'll we'll carry on. Um, Q, yeah, the, the 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 news with Twitter didn't really affect affect the markets in any positive way, right? But anyway, no. I I, I think I think it's I think it's absolutely massive news, and I think this the company is just um, sort of driving forward Jack's ultimate vision of entrenching crypto into the platform and then meta or formerly known as facebook shortly uh followed shortly afterwards which was uh quite scary actually and we'll we'll, we'll get into that what what were you guys thoughts on uh twitter well firstly i thought it was brilliant how people complained about having to pay a four dollar subscription fee to the twitter premium when they want to use it Two hundred, three hundred thousand dollar NFT is their verified profile picture. I know, right? Uh, Can they just make it open for everyone? Like, why? <laughs> like, why make? Why I'm a millionaire? Why make me pay two dollars to change my profile picture? <laughs> um, yeah, I thought that was quite funny. But I mean, you know, again, here we are. You know, with the debate of like this, the shift to a level of pseudo anonymity, and I think you know, verified ownership is the key ingredient to blockchain and decentralized space. 
um, you know, how do you prove that you own something? You know, you can go on a Discord or a Twitter or anything like that. You can screenshot anyone's board ape and claim it's your own. Um, and I think the way that Twitter have done this is, is you know, it's not the end all and be all, but it's definitely a bullish step in the right direction to claiming one's verified ownership on the blockchain and, you know, bringing more trust to the network. You know, people can pass off as NFT owners, as punk owners or whatever, but you never really know if they're the true owners. Um, and, you know, CryptoPunks largely did this with, you know, you could order your punk printed as a, as, a, as a picture and they had a barcode that would verify your ownership of it. So I think this element that Twitter is bringing in and Meta as well is just bringing that extra edge to allow people to be in this more trust-based ecosystem as well as being able to verify ownership of assets that they're proud of. Um, so I think it's pretty cool. For sure. I just want to get my hands on Twitter Blue so I can make my PFP a hexagon. Um, <laughs> also, quick quick note: now that we've just actually talked about uh, you know the the a big you know the big red pill with Web three and everything, I actually read an uh, an article in the Verge uh, from the Verge uh, that I think uh, when was it last on last uh, in last Thursday. Um, apparently there was a database outage that knocked OpenSea's API offline for a few hours, which caused Twitter's NFT collection pages to lose their information. So obviously it looked like Twitter is making sort of the same on the back end, making the same API calls to OpenSea. Um, or at least it's going through the wallet, obviously. And the flaw that Luca was just talking about, uh, showed itself, uh, reared its ugly head in within the first, you know, few hours of <laughs> launching this functionality. And not, obviously not to put a whole dampener on the news, but that's the the reality where we're at. So I think the whole thing sort of fell apart for a bit um, while that database outage went up, when was happening. Um, but I think, I mean, fundamentally, I think good of, news. There's a lot of pressure on this, this decentralized marketplace, OpenSea. I mean, like last night you had this massive exploits of the the front end api web geez yeah and that <laughs> people were getting their people were getting their hands on board apps at 0.77 ETH because they were old listing prices it's quite scary that massive entities like twitter and metamask and all of this are relying on OpenSea to be the backbone of nft like you know space basically um you know when they're having api issues like this when they're having blackouts like this and it just kind of, again, speaks to the how early we are um, and how there's actually not enough infrastructure in the space to handle the level of adoption that leaders in the space are pushing for. Um, yeah, and, I, and I actually read about this, John, like this bug or whatever you like to call it. It's actually a part of how the system has been designed or at least how it works. So it's not like you can then go to turn around and go to OpenSea and say, hey, where's my where's my NFT or like sue them because i think i read somewhere that they have acknowledged that you know that's how the that's how the system works and that that can happen so sorry if you do these bunch of actions that you you sort of uh leave yourself susceptible to doing that um so it is crazy that this <laughs> like this whole you know market and um huge industry and all these millions of users are relying on this like 10 to 15 person team to you know verify their jpegs and and basically have the you know the entire 
NFT market uh, held up on their back. It's it's quite something to behold. And it makes me think also with the word about Facebook's or Meta's um, rumored NFT marketplace. Like, imagine, like, I actually, I actually, guys, I had to search like the, the, the number of like monthly active users and stuff on Facebook versus OpenSea. And it's scary if, and I know we all have our takes on Meta, but like just the sheer user base differences, like the amount of users that Facebook has, if they were to launch an NFT marketplace, like you've got to think what is going to happen. I mean, it's, 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 you can't even compare it to Coinbase's. And Coinbase had a, a million users sign up in the first day. Um, Facebook has, you know, three three billion monthly active users. That's half the world, almost half the world. Like that is ridiculous. So I, I don't know. I, I, like it's it's maybe a scary future. Saying that you know Meta could own the NFT market through their marketplace, but just based on user on the users, they're going to have the most eyes to show to. So I don't know what you guys uh, think. We talked about uh, Meta in episode one uh, with their whole Metaverse spiel, but geez, this is something, this is actually something else in in its entirety. Look, I think overall these tech companies coming in is, I think it's a net positive, actually. I'll take the contrarian view. I think just this one move of Twitter bringing in these, verified profile pictures have disarmed like in one swoop they've disarmed scammers and false prophets um all across twitter i think you know these sort of synergies are going to take the whole space forwards if only i don't know if you guys saw that thing from elon musk actually when twitter (laughs) when twitter announced that they had released the this feature Elon was complaining that they had diverted engineering resources to this feature instead of combating all the spam bots in his replies. (laughs) 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 That's brilliant. And and I guess, you know, he's got a point, but I've I've got to say, you know, they've, they've done this now next target spam bots. And I mean, because crypto lives on Twitter, I mean, you know, you know, Twitter having these profile photos, maybe potentially, getting rid of the scammers, I mean, you can leverage that. Yeah, and I, I mean, mean there would be silly... Twitter has been good for, for, uh, Twitter has been good for crypto. Yeah, and there would be silly not to dig into, you know, one of their most heated, uh, you know, sort of viral audiences and Did you like guys see... straight up batshit crazy audiences, to be frank. Did you guys see the McDonald's post? Oh, I was about to mention this when you mentioned Elon. <laughs> Tell me, McDonald's. Someone challenged. Someone was like, "McDonald's is missing the missing the market op, uh, the marketing opportunity uh, of of the century, basically, because everyone is posting memes of applying for a job at McDonald's, or you know, you know the the classic. Um, and and what McDonald's was? Do you, do you remember the tweet, Luca? Are you talking about the Elon tweet with the Happy Meal? No, was there something? To, okay, no, then I, then I, oh, um, it, what was it? Uh, something about all the people who are running crypto Twitter or something? 
yeah, how are you doing people who run crypto Twitter accounts? <laughs> yeah, Luca, you're going to have to take the ball on this one because I, I saw that out of context. I, I missed this. No, I'm no, no missed the it. market dumps like crazy. This is like basically the bottom and then McDonald's is tweeting basically ask, asking how everything uh. in this place. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god Absolutely that is brilliant brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. sorry for being slow no, i just good. didn't get it no that is but then did you see also elon tweeted and he was like i'll eat yes, a happy yeah. meal on tv if mcdonald's accepts dogecoin <laughs> as soon as he tweeted that i kid you not dogecoin jumped 10 percent, and then dumped like eight or whatever <laughs> so like the guy the guy has a crazy hold on on crypto markets, even though he like still thinks it's BS. At least Web three is BS. He thinks Web three is BS, not Bitcoin. That is that is fantastic. I mean, I can just picture Musk sitting there eating a Happy Meal. <laughs> yeah, can he just tweet about Shiba so it goes up now? I'm, now that I'm an owner, <laughs> I better go eight before before the man gets ideas. Eh? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, cool. Anyway, boys, thanks for the great episode. Red pulls were shared. Uh, we we had to confront some ugly truths, but I think at the end of the day, the more of these conversations that happen, uh, it can only benefit people in the longer term just to understand how the the place works and and just to be more aware of all the moving parts. I would highly recommend people go and read uh, Moxie Marlin Spike's article um, titled. My first impressions of Web3, uh, fascinating article, really dives into all all the aspects, and we've touched on a few here. Um, and yeah, let's see what happens with uh, Twitter's PFP and Meta's NFT marketplace and uh, everything that's going on and with the market. And uh, hopefully we will see you all next week for episode 12. Um, thanks everyone for joining and uh, thanks to the the wizards wandering around web three. We're going to go wander some more. We'll see you all next week.